Thanks for listening to the Community Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Pastor Dan Strutz here. Our desire is to connect people with Christ and community. For more info or to contact us, please visit cbcmountainlake.com. Many of you have asked how our trip was. Uh, For those of you that don't know, Suzanne and I were gone this last week and a half in uh, first Utah and then Wyoming and then Montana, and so it was a good trip. Uh, And it was a joyful trip, but it's good to be back. Um, Last week, uh, we, we were able to worship in a church, a church plant in Salt Lake City called Greenhouse Church. It's a, a small church plant. Uh, much different feel than in here, this space that we're in, because they were worshiping there in the back of a, of a CrossFit gym. Um, so you, we can be thankful that we don't have to set up curtains uh, in front of all the barbells and stuff like that and, and do that. But uh, a great chance to, to, pre, or to spend time with a, a, a family, a, a church family there that is trying to really minister and present the gospel in a whole different uh, location than us. It was, it was really, um, for those of you that don't know, we were at, at our national conference. So there's a couple of churches that are part of our, our U.S. Uh, men and brethren family. And there, the, uh, the church that we were at, um, they are ministering to a, to, a con- or to a city that is not 8%, but 0.8% uh, Christian. Um, so that's, that's evangelical, that's Catholic, that's everything. That, that they are in a place where, where there really is, is dry territory for the gospel. So it was cool to be there and to be worshiping with those people there. So be praying for churches uh, like that in our own country, that, that the gospel, the, the message that we preach of Jesus isn't known by people. And that gives us a reminder of even here that there are still people that don't know Jesus in our midst. Uh, another story, and this was a really encouraging one. Um, I, I love meeting with other pastors. Um, and I usually, Susanna can attest to this, I, I usually don't do well with people that are, uh, that maybe are from a different country and I, I don't speak the same language, but one of my favorite stories this, uh, from this trip was I got to meet a pastor from a country in South America um, who, I won't name the country's name because just I want to make sure he's safe and protected, but uh, this country in South America, this pastor was up just to greet and meet and learn from other pastors. Um, he spoke to me through a translator in Spanish, because I don't know Spanish. Um, but honestly, I think that he was one of the biggest blessings uh, to me as I learned about their church situation uh, in South America. This church in particular, he talks about, uh, this pastor is talking about how the inflation rate in this country is so crazy um, that, that a day's wage might get about one egg for the family, for the household. It's, it's crazy, the hardships that are there, the brokenness that is there. Uh, he talked to me about how as a pastor, he keeps getting emails from the government trying to con- convince him politely to switch his email over to a government e- email server, which translation means they want to monitor what he's saying and what he's doing. If they haven't had meals in a while, whether they can make it to church or not. Uh, it just gives us perspective of what's going on in the world around us. And, and it gives us an appreciation for uh, what God is still doing. Because what was amazing about this, this pastor who was there, that he's still trusting God for good things. In the midst of the hurt, in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the hardship, he's turning to God and saying, God, you, you are going to do a good thing in my country. He is believing that to happen. And that should...
should encourage us to say, there's a God that, that even in hurts can and will show up and, and will walk with us through that. So those are things that we can be thinking about and praying for, uh, not just our own town and our own space. Sometimes we, we just think about what's before us, but thinking about what God is doing in other places really shapes how big our God is and how great He is. And so this morning, I think that connects in with our, our, our message title, um, Behold Your Comforting God. We are going to speak from uh, Isaiah chapter 40 this morning. In a moment, Behold Your Comforting God. And, and before we go there, though, I want to do a little bit of a, a, a fill-in-the-blank. Uh, it might not seem connected at first, but I, I, I think you guys can do this, and we'll connect it in in a little bit. If I say the phrase, look to the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman. You get that. You, you, you hear the voices saying, look to the sky, it's this, it's this, it's that. And then we finally understand, oh, it's Superman. Superman, the hero, the one who shows up to save the day, the one who comes. And, and people start looking to the sky when they see him flying around and know that Superman doesn't fly around just leisurely on a Sunday afternoon, just kind of strolling through the sky. No, he comes when things are treacherous, difficult, when things are hard. He doesn't just show up when, when there's nothing really going on. He shows up when the, the, the meteor is about to crash into the earth, and he saves it. As people are in anxiety and concern, he shows up to save the day. Superman is the hero. And those voices look to the sky, and we, we know if you watch a movie or something like that, or you remember a cartoon, people starting to point and saying, look, 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 there is our hero, he's coming. So those voices are what I want us to be thinking about this morning, those who point and start to gather and look and encourage us to look to the sky. Because this morning as we go into Isaiah 40, we're going to see three voices. Isaiah 40 speaks of three voices that speak of the certainty of a coming king, of a certain hero of our God. It speaks of uh, this God who will outlast everything of our world, and it will draw attention for us ourselves to look to our hero, to our king, towards Jesus who's coming. So with that, this morning our sermon title is Behold Your Comforting God. And this morning before I read our text from Isaiah 40, I want to pray for us and just let our hearts dwell on this word richly that God has provided us with. Father God, I thank you so much for this word. I thank you for this important passage. One that is used by the gospel writers to speak of you, Jesus. You gave Isaiah a vision almost 3,000 years ago that speaks to us today, that speaks to our hearts and directs our attention towards you. We know that you are much more than just this fictional superhero, Jesus. You actually came. You actually lived the life that we can never live. You died for us and rose again. So we want to fix our attention, our, our, our minds and our eyes of our hearts This morning I ask that these words that come from here, that, that they can meet us where we're at with what we're going through, 
that they can speak to our hearts and, and, and that they can uh, continue to feed us throughout these next days. Isaiah chapter 40, if you are looking in your pew Bibles, that is going to be on page 508. 508, I ask you to join me there and follow for these 11 verses that I will read. Isaiah says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins voice in the wilderness cries in the wilderness prepare the way of the lord make straight in the desert the highway of our god every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low the uneven ground shall become level the rough places a plain and the glory of the lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the lord has spoken a voice says, cry, and I say, what shall I cry? All flesh is like grass, and all the beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Go on up a high mountain. On Zion, herald the good news. Lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald the good news. Lift it up. Fear not, says the, says the city, says the city of Jerusalem. Take this as a response. Behold your God. Behold the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend the flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will, cry, he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with Isaiah's words this morning for us, Isaiah 40, it's a really, this passage is an important one that that many of us know, some of you uh, might have parts of it memorized, Uh, we know that as we even look into next week and the rest of it, there's a lot of familiar sayings in this passage, but before we get into it, we need to think back to where we were two weeks ago. If you're new or joining us, we have been traveling through Isaiah and going through it uh, chapter by chapter, uh, listening to what God says and listening to the story. It's set uh, years and years before Jesus came, and it speaks of uh, God's uh, revealing stuff through the prophet Isaiah so that he can speak to God's people and tell them how he sees their situation and what he wants to encourage them with and how he is revealing his story in their lives. Now, if you remember back, chapter 39, uh, two weeks ago, uh, when I was here, we, we spoke of a king named Hezekiah. Hezekiah, for the most part, was a really good king. But he, he faltered in his last days in the fact that he brought in the, the people, the rulers of, of Babylon, and showed them all of his stuff. And that pride was his downfall. Isaiah says to Hezekiah in chapter 39, 
this people, Babylon. They're going to remove you from your land. They're going to take all this stuff away in a later day. At the time, Babylon wasn't the big deal. They weren't the threat. But about 100 years later, they were. And in fact, Babylon did come. They ruined the city. They ruined Jerusalem. They hauled away a bunch of people and a bunch of stuff. That's where we were and where we landed in chapter 39. And so 40 seems to be just a whole different ballgame of a conversation. A whole different word, a a joyous-sounding cry. Which is funny because chapters 1 through 39 really have been all about God's judgment. And now here we are shifting gears. But before this, we have to consider what comes in between chapter 40, or chapter 39 and chapter 40. When Babylon took the people away, we have to understand that what the people felt in the midst of that, what they were experiencing in the midst of that, was absolute brokenness. It was absolute pain and hurt. Because they had been removed from their place, everything that they gloried in, everything that they celebrated, had been kicked out from under them. And it's that situation where we get the word of Lamentations. Now, Lamentations, you may want to turn there, uh, or you might just want to keep in Isaiah, but Lamentations, it's not normally a devotional reading, uh, but it's a short book, and it comes in that time when the people were pulled away and the city was in ruins after what Hezekiah had done and how they had been removed from the city. Uh, Lamentations uh, speaks to us and it helps us inform what we're reading in chapter 40 a little bit. You're to look, and, and it's in your readings for next for tomorrow, actually, that are in the in the bulletin. You'll see Lamentations one, and I want to just read a couple of verses from there. Lamentations one, it says this: How lonely sits the city that was full of people! How like a widow she has become! She who was great among the nations, she who was a princess princess among the provinces, has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. Her uncleanliness was in her skirt. She took uh, no thought of her future. Therefore, her fall is terrible. She has no comforter. Zion stretches out her hand, but there is none to comfort her. That word, comfort, comes up again and again in Lamentations. And it experiences the hearts of the people who, when they were removed from their place and removed from the the city that God had given them, they were broken and they're crying out to God, there is no one to comfort me. There is no one who cares. There's no one that will embrace me and show me that it's going to be okay. This brokenness that the people feel, we have to sense this before we get into Isaiah 40, because I think it gives us the tone on which God speaks back to the people in chapter 40. They're crying out for comfort and saying, Why? Where is my God? Who will care for me? It's a venture. It's a, it's a hard situation. And for each of us in our lives, I think there have been times, and there may be times right now, where we sit there and look around in our lives and the things around us says, there's no one to comfort me. God, you aren't even there for me. There's no one that cares. I'm alone. I'm broken. Or, or even because of what I've done, no one would care for me. There's a brokenness, a, a fallenness, and hurt in the hearts of people. 
experience that in our own life, haven't we? We've experienced that in our lives. And some of us, I imagine, are experiencing that even today. Does God care? Does He know my pain? So as we we turn to chapter 40 of Isaiah, we know that this is the heart that God is speaking into. But what's amazing about it is Isaiah 40 is being written before those hearts were even broken. Before those hearts were even in pain, Isaiah was given this vision from God, and God is speaking into it. So what does he speak? What do we hear? Verse 1 and 2. We see that God's heart speaks comfort to brokenness. God's heart speaks comfort to brokenness. Verse 1. God says this, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her. That her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received the Lord's hand double for all her sins. God is speaking before the brokenness even happens, before the hearts are crying out, who is there to comfort me? God is already moving to say, tell my people comfort, comfort. We want them to know that I love them, that I care for them. The tone has changed totally from that judgment uh, that judgment of, of, of God saying, I, I don't know this people, to now he's saying, I want to comfort this people. That idea of comfort, we, we know it. it. It's felt in, in appearance and grace. I, I often, when I, when I tell people that are hurting and in pain, I, I say, you know, that idea of, of, of a father who says, come and I will, I will give you a hug when the child has skinned the knee. You know, it doesn't take the pain away, but there's something about the embrace of the Father that is just warm and it takes the tears away. That idea is the idea of the comfort that God wants to impart on His people in this moment in chapter 40 for those who are broken. And He says it multiple times just to add emphasis to His the desire that He wants His people to know this. He goes on to say, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Speak tenderly. This idea is literally to speak to their hearts. Speak right to where their emotion is and tell them comfort to where they are. But it's not just to declare it. It's also kind of a draw them in. The idea is I want them to hear comfort that I offer it, but it's a matter of having them turn to me and that they turn and desire that comfort that they know and that they can return to me in my tenderness. God's idea here as he's saying, comfort, comfort my people, is that he wants to win them back from their brokenness. He wants to win them back from their pain. And he's using messengers, heralds, voices in this vision to go and proclaim it to the world. He's moved from judgment shifted gears, that that no longer in Isaiah, as we move into chapter 40, no longer is this the God who is saying, uh, this is this people, if we go back to Isaiah 6, we can see God refer to these same people as this people, as in they're distant, they're far from me, and now he's, he's turned around and saying, this is my people. We have to see that contrast, that there's something has changed in, in this conversation now, that he's no longer referring to them as far off, but he's referring to them as near. It's the same people. But what has changed? What has changed
verse with what we see in verse 2. He says, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Those words are the words in the tune of a ransom redemption plan. As for warfare or forced labor, that, that because of their brokenness, because of their sin, because the people had, had turned from God, they've been forced into a bondage. And we see this over and over again in the scriptures where the people are taken away from their land and they're put in a place where they are forced hard labor upon themselves. Where they are, are enslaved and in bondage to, uh, to another person, to another thing, to someone that is Lord over them. Saying that that warfare, that forced labor, that work, that pain, those sad days are over. Because her iniquity has been taken care of. The word iniquity, some translations will use sin, will use penalty. That idea of her, her, her wrongdoing and rebellion against God, it has been paid for. And it doesn't say that her time has been served. It doesn't say that because of her sin, because of the wrongdoing, that she's, she's done her time in jail or she's done her time uh, where she's locked up for a bit. It doesn't say that of the people. It doesn't say that now this people is getting off on good behavior. No, it says that these people have been pardoned, that their debt has been paid for, that it's brought them out of their brokenness. This isn't them that they've earned their way out. It has nothing to do with what they have done. It's someone stepping in and pardoning their guilt. It goes on to say she has received from the Lord's hand double, double for all her sins. Now, first reading, when I read this, my heart, my mind wants to go to think like that, that what it, this is saying is that they have received twice as much punishment for what they have done wrong, that they are, they've received double their punishment. But actually, uh, a couple scholars and, and preachers, and I would agree, especially with Tim Keller, a, a pastor in New York, who, who says that what is going on here is that the double isn't referring to the punishment, it's, rem- it's speaking of the payment for, to get them out. That the double is speaking towards what God has paid to bring the people out. Now, why would he do that? Why is he giving double to bring the people out? It's important for us to remember, these people are broken. These people are are hurting. They feel like God has abandoned them, and and God is speaking comfort and referring to them. And now we hear that God has brought them out through double, double payment. Saying is that God didn't just pay to bring these people and people out uh, of their slavery, out of their bondage, by just giving enough. If their debt was five dollars, He didn't just pay five dollars. He paid more than enough so that these people could know truly not just that God cares, but that He deeply loves and values them. That He's going to give more than enough to free them from their pain.
this is another place as we get into his, his first per, two verses, it's really an introduction uh, of the bigger picture of what's going to be spoken of in chapter 40 all the way through 55. It, it's going to speak of what God is doing to bring the people out. It's going to speak of how he's going to redeem God's people out and bring them out of their bondage, out of their slavery. We're going to see that over the next few weeks unfold. He wants to speak comfort to these people. He wants to speak of how that their situation has changed, that no longer do they need to suffer and feel that brokenness and pain, but God is doing and working something ahead of that to prepare for them. And as Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 11 continues on, God is going to send out three voices, three voices to be like those those people in the Superman comic that say, look to the sky, look at the God who cares for you. Know that he comforts, know that he cares. Three voices that we will see that come out in these verses that follow. Look with me at verse 3 through 5. 3 through 5, the first voice. There we see is the voice, number one, God's comforting glory will come, it says. God's comforting glory will come. A voice cries out in the wilderness, it says, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight for the desert a highway for our God. For every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. All flesh shall see it. For the mouth of the Lord, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This voice helps with the question. The question that in our brokenness that we might be asking, can I be certain that comfort is coming? Can I be certain that my, my comfort will come? And this voice is looking to the sky and saying, certainly God is coming. The Lord has spoken and he will come. The context here is speaking of this wilderness. Make it straight, make it flat, and, and be, know that the king is coming, that God is coming. The idea here that, that these people would have understood at that time is when, when a king was going out to, to expand into new territory and to go out and, and conquer and, and win over new land for his people, he, they would build bridges and roads so that they could travel. They wouldn't just travel the old stuff. They would build new stuff to get there, new highways for the Lord, for the king to go. And this is speaking of the Lord. He's going to come, and he's, this land is going to be made, the highway for him to come is going to be there. Look, that's God in his comfort coming. It speaks of the wilderness. That the area he's going into, the area that he's stepping into is a broken, barren place that isn't, it isn't fruitful. It's a wilderness area that God wants to go into so that he can build up. voice that's speaking into uh, to God's people is saying, uh, not only just is he going to build a road, but, but so much so that mountains and valleys are going to be made even, that, that all, that everything is going to be flat and level so that all can see this king coming. We were in the mountains this week, Suzanne and I, we hiked more than we probably should have. We hiked up in the Tetons, and what's amazing in the mountains is, is as you climb up, you, you think that something is a peak, but then you get up there and you realize that there's more peaks after it. And you get 
get up there and you see that there's hidden hidden lakes and valleys and everything. And, and what God is saying or what this voice is saying so much in these peaks and valleys that everything is going to be made even and flat is that nothing is going to be hidden. That nothing is going to be, uh, that everything is going to be known. And so as we're asking, uh, is can I be certain that my comfort is coming? Can I be certain that in my pain and my brokenness that comfort is coming to me? What God is saying is that everything is going to be made level so that you won't miss it. So that you won't miss. Everything will be shown when this comfort comes. Now this passage, verse 3, 4, 5, we know it. It's one of the verses that is used in the gospel message. It's used in all four of the gospels, and it's used... With the word, with in the words from the mouth of John the Baptist, who who is speaking these words and, and is speaking that I am He who proclaims. He's taking on the role of Isaiah when Jesus comes, which helps us to know that Isaiah 40 isn't just talking about something from the time when they were in Babylon. He's speaking of something much bigger. He's not just speaking of of trying to get people out of a out of a nation that they're stuck in exile in. He's talking about the spiritual hearts, the brokenness, the bondage that we are all in because of our own sin, our own rebellion, the brokenness that we have brought on ourselves or that because of sin other people have brought on us. John 1, 23. John the Baptist says this, I am the voice crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. The voice in Isaiah speaks and looks forward to a time when one will come. Look to the sky. When you see this coming, when you see this voice, you know that your comfort is coming. You know that your comfort is here. And that's what we see when we see John crying out, Our comfort, he's coming, and he's coming in glory. Now often we think of glory as being just God coming, maybe in a second coming, or we see Jesus glorified after he's risen. Uh, we think of those things, but I think even more, if you take the gospel out to its completion, the gospel, especially of John, of John, out to its completion, what you see is ultimately that even on the cross, even on the cross, God's glory is shown. That that everything is seen, that God is, shows his comfort by taking on and ransoming us from our sins on the cross. It's seen clearly as Jesus goes up there. How is that cross glorious? How is that cross uh, attractive? I think in the sense that it's what frees us. It's what brings us out from our bondage. It's the one thing that, that brings us out and comforts us because we know that the punishment of God is now taken from us. Our brokenness and our pain is taken from us as Jesus himself experienced that. And that glorious step of love that our God, our hero, would step on the cross for us helps us to know for certain where our comfort lies. second voice in this passage is in 6 through 8. 6 through 8, it speaks of God's comforting word and that it will stand. 6 through 8, it reads like this. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is like grass and all its beauty is 
like the flower of the field, the grass withers and the flower fades. When the breath, breath of the Lord on, blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Now this again, we hear this verse used in the New Testament oftentimes. We think of it uh, when Peter uses it in his God, in his book in First Peter, and we think of it in terms of this word, that this word will stand, and there, there's truth to that. But we're probably better to think of this word, this word that will stand forever in terms of the way that John's gospel again uses it. John's gospel is pointing back to this Isaiah 40 again and again and again. And in John's gospel, he says, the beginning of the word, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning God. Later on, it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. John is speaking to what Isaiah says. Uh, John is speaking to that this prophecy from Isaiah that, that says that there is a word that will last eternally, that will continue on forever, showed up in Jesus. So what is Isaiah saying? What is Isaiah 40 what, what is that answering? What question, that voice as he points to the sky and says, look, your comfort is coming. What is the voice trying to help us understand? The question that I think it's trying to answer is, can I trust that this comfort will actually work for me? That the comfort that Isaiah is preaching to that will bring me out and ransom me from my pain and, and from my, my brokenness, can I trust in it in my life? We've we got to remember that just before this, they've had kings and other leaders that have failed them and failed them and failed them. And so the people are sitting there saying, how can I know that this comfort that's coming will be the thing that actually works? It says, all flesh is like grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field, the grass withers and the flower fades. It's speaking of people like fading grass and fading flowers. Hezekiah was a beautiful flower, but then he faded away. Other things in our lives, the things that we are drawn to, to put our hope in, they will fade away and they will disappear. And, and this is calling for us to let go of them and put our hope in this word, in Jesus, when he shows up. I think it's interesting that the same word in verse 7 that's used, when the breath of the Lord blows on it, that's the same word that's used when, back in Genesis when God breathed life into Adam. It's the same idea that the breath that gives life also takes life. But here we're talking about something that's outside of that breath. And that's exactly what John says. That this word, Jesus, was outside of that creation. That Jesus was before, not only was he eternal forever from now, but he was eternal past as well. He's always been and always will be. And because of that, we can put our trust in Him. As we're experiencing brokenness in our lives, as we're wondering, what can I count on? We can say, I'm going to turn to the thing that has always been the Word of God. Jesus, who showed up. That we see proclaimed in the Gospels. Can I trust it? Yes, I can. In voice number three, I love that word, behold. Uh, one of uh, a scholar, uh, Wayne Grudem, he, he speaks of this word.
sat on the, on the translation team for this, the ESV, the, the translation we're using this morning, and he says, I like the word behold because while some other translations are just going to the word look, which is kind of like look at, the word behold is something that draws in our attention and says, give your attention, give your mind to that word behold. It's more, it's stronger than the word look. It's not just observe, it's draw, be fixated, stare at it. And that's what the voice in, in 9 through 11 is calling us to. It says, go up on the high mountain, Zion, herald the good news, or we could translate that gospel news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald the good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. like a shepherd. He will gather his lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. He says, draw your attention to this God. Look to the sky. Your God is coming. Your comforter is coming. And he explains just who this God is. First, he speaks of his mighty arm. He will accomplish his redeeming purposes. His arm is strong and he will complete his plan as he desires and as he wills. He will deliver those who, who are hurting, who are his, but he will also have vengeance on those who, who disagree with him and who are against him. His mighty arm will conquer and also deliver. That's the God that we're to look to. It speaks of his reward and recompense. It speaks in, in that verse 10 of those things that the Lord comes and he brings spoils to those are his, and he will bring payback to those who have wronged him. And then it speaks those wonderful words. If God is trying to comfort us, what do we need? Not only do we need a strong God, a God who will fight for us, but we also need, verse 11, that comforting shepherd. In our pain, again, the reminder that this is spoken to people who are broken and hurting, we are reminded that they are, turn, are to turn and look and direct their attention and fix their eyes on their comforting God. He's like a shepherd. He will gather his lambs in his arms, it says. He will pick them up, vulnerable, hurting. He will pick them up in his comforting arms, embrace them and say, I am here, I am here to comfort you. He will carry them back to where they need to be with him. That word is spoken, and we're going to see more of this and how that all plays out over the weeks ahead. But the question that this voice answers is, what kind of comfort can I expect? What's so good about this news? And again, uh, we, we are looking for that God. We are looking in a time where we are wondering, as I said before, where we're wondering, uh, does anyone care? Does anyone know? Does anyone want to comfort me? Does anyone really care and want to embrace me? And this God is saying, that is me. That in the end, that this isn't just generic God, but this is in Jesus' first coming. That this God, this comfort comes to embrace, to be our shepherd. Jesus.
Jesus speaks of himself as, I am the good shepherd. He speaks of himself as, I am that shepherd. I am the one that wants to draw you in and comfort you. I am the one you look to that you behold when you're hurting. I am the one that you should draw your attention to when things aren't right, when you're alone and afraid and anxious. And so it happens that that third voice, that third voice that we hear here, behold your God. It's spoken of again, right by John in John's Gospel, John 1. John 1, 29. John the Baptist, that guy that said, I am the way to prepare. I'm preparing the way for uh, the Lord. He then sees Jesus. It says in 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That Lamb is going to be explained in chapter 53. But again, he's saying, Behold, look to, draw your attention to. John sees him coming. And if it, it moves forward to say in 35 through 36, John 1, it says, the next day, again, John saw him standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. In Isaiah, our direction is, Behold your comforting God, behold your God, and you're supposed to follow him. You're supposed to walk after him, trusting in his life. morning for us, we hear these voices. Look, the glory is coming. Look, uh, this word of God is eternal. He will stand and look and draw our attention on Him. And what we're supposed to see in this is this glorious message of the gospel. Jesus Christ who came. He will last forever. We are reminded again that we are to behold. We are to look at. We are to stare. Because He has ransomed us. Because he has done something that's comforting to us even before we experience that brokenness. This week, as you go out from here, there may be things where you experience brokenness, pain, loneliness, wondering, does anyone care? Does anyone comfort? And I would direct your attention to say, behold Jesus in your hurts. Look to him. Will you allow him say, that is my comfort in those moments. We turn our attention to the Lord's table now. Again, this, this message that we have of Jesus coming and what he did is not just something, I like to say, an abstraction. It's not just something that we, we, we talk about, but we actually have a symbol that Jesus left with us. A reminder about what he did celebrate this morning the Lord's Supper where we take bread symbolizing his body and, and juice symbolizing his blood and we come to this table saying uh, declaring this is my comfort this is the thing that I put my hope in in my brokenness this morning we look to this meal which Jesus gathered his, his disciples his closest friends around him and he gathered them together and, and he took these elements and he said, remember me. They didn't understand it at the time, but later on after his death, his resurrection, they understood and they celebrated this meal again and again as he instructed. So that they could be reminded of where their hope, their comfort, 
this morning, I, I, the guy, a couple of the guys will come forward and, and take uh, some of the juice for those of you who can't come. But, but I would ask this morning, as, as for us that can, that we come to this table reminding ourselves that what we are declaring is that Jesus is my comfort in this life. And Jesus and God is the one who I put my trust in. If that's not true of you, I would say just stay in your seat. to their hearts, that this symbol up here, that these, this bread and this juice can be something where God is saying to you, as you come, let that speak to your heart, that he is your comfort. In 1 Corinthians, we read this. Paul gave us instructions through what he had heard from Jesus. It says there, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord, on the night which he, when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you, you proclaim the Lord's death until he Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks, drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. This morning, again, as we do eat bread together Sunday, I ask, reflect on those words. Reflect on what this meal means for you before you come. Father God, we thank you that your heart towards us is one of love. Your heart towards us is one of comfort, and you desire us to experience that comfort. But it's not just a comfort that's a feeling. It's a comfort that was shown in that you came and you died for us. That you came, and as we see from Isaiah, you ransomed us. You paid double to get us out of our bondage, out of our Thank you. 